0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Anyway, I'd like to get on with the message, if that's okay. I want to read... (coughs) All of you have, like me, favorite verses, I'm sure. Verses that, in I suppose, in reality have helped you in difficult times. Verses that have spring to mind immediately when maybe there's times that you find a bit of a struggle. Verses that you've carried with you many, many years. The favorite verses. Now, I've not actually preached my favorite verse very often, but because of what is... Chugging away inside of me, my favorite verse is one I would like to talk to you about tonight. And I'm hoping it will stir a little bit of excitement in you as well. Is that okay? So I want to preach this verse, preach from this verse. It's Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. And some of you might even know what it is now. Here it is here. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Isn't that a good Isn't those good words? Exceedingly abundantly. Now, for me personally, I just love the English language like that. If you're in Denmark or Scandinavian countries, they haven't got words like that. Exceedingly abundantly. Their translation says, much more. No wonder nothing gets done. If that's the verse, he's able to do much more. It's not very exciting, isn't it? Exceedingly abundantly above... All that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And verse 21 says this, To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Nice, eh? Have we got the Hezekiah verse up there ready to go? I asked for Hezekiah 4. Have you got that one? No? Okay, don't worry. (laughs) Stick with the other one. If you don't mind, could you put the Ephesians one back up there? The Ephesians one back, that's it. Just leave it there now. I just want that to hang there. Here we go. This verse, I want to unpack this verse. Now, to him who is able to do. To do, not be. God is not a philosophy. He's not an idea. He's not just a theology. You know today, a lot of people get captured or caught up into the idea of God as a theology. And they get to know a lot about Him headwise, but sometimes don't get to understand what He's wanting to do. I believe that God is doing stuff all the time, without merit or favor, without us consciously knowing He is doing. There's not a moment where God... Now, it seems at times, doesn't it, that God has not done anything. Some people can go years and say, well, God hasn't done anything. But I'll tell you right now, as much as God is a theology. He is also a doer. He gets things done. He is a God that is constantly performing miracles that we never see and we never get to grasp hold of because our eyes are not open to them. I believe that when we go to heaven, we will be able to see all the miraculous works that God has done around us, but we didn't even know they were happening. While we're you know, walking through life, we just see what happens, but we don't see the invisible realm of what God has done to protect us, keep us, maybe guide us. And when you get into trouble in life, you can tend to think, well, you know, I wish, where was God when that happened? But actually, in the invisible realm, something worse could have been the case. Because God is a God who does. He is constantly active in our lives. And even if you don't feel that, and in many occasions, you don't believe that. That is a truth of Scripture. In fact, for me personally, I think the action words of God doing, certainly us doing in the New Testament, is greater than the being words. I've heard some people say, you know, I'm a human being, not a human doing. And I look at those people, Are you complete idiot. How can you? I'm a, what's a human being? I'm, I'm being. I'm, I'm just being. I don't want to do anything. Well, let me help you here. If you don't do something, like your heart stops beating, what if your heart said, I, don't want to, I just want to be the heart? I don't want to do the heart. I don't want to do the heart thing. So I'm just, going to, I'm just going to be a heart. You're dead. What about if your nervous system, I don't want to be a nervous system. I want to be the nervous system. I to just find out about being. You're dead. What about if your skeleton says, I'm sick of doing this. I'm going to be a skeleton. You're on the ground. This is silly language. It's being and doing at the same time. And many Christians concentrate on the being and never engage in God's doing. He is able to not be more, but do more. And I love that about God. He is constantly wanting to do more in our lives. We sing about it. We talk about it. We pray about it. But it's absolute biblical fact that he, and truth, that he is wanting to do so much more. And then these words kick in. He is able to do, though, listen to this, exceedingly abundantly. Not just do. He doesn't just do, he does exceedingly abundantly. These are, like I said, amazing words. Because in the original language of this, Actually, the words that the reason I've used exceedingly abundantly is because in the original language they actually use the same word. It's actually super abundant, super abundant. So if you read it in the original, it says something like this: He is able to do super abundant, super abundant, which is like way more than we could ever imagine. Super abundant is one thing, but super abundant two times is another thing. He is able to do that much, so he's not just doing stuff. He wants to do greater stuff. He wants to do far more than we could imagine. Not much more either. Superabundant, superabundant. I love that idea. So we translate that exceedingly abundantly. Not much more, exceedingly superabundant. Abundantly. Super abundant. That's amazing. That is an expression, I think, of the greatness of his ability to do and what he wants to do passionately for each of us. Super abundantly, super abundantly. You know, when you, when you get that idea, I find that idea quite intriguing. But what I want to do is boil it down into a little bit more sort of understanding. And I'm going to put a number on each of those terms, exceedingly and abundantly. Because I think a number, numbers help, don't they, quantify stuff. They help you get a hold of what's going on. For example, if you go to the doctor, it's great to go to a doctor who says to you, I've read all the numbers and I can see where you've got a problem, than a doctor who says, I feel you're really good and healthy. You don't want that doctor, do you? The one who says, I'm feeling deep down in my spiritual life that everything is good with you. No, but didn't you do a blood test and haven't you got some numbers? We don't do that here. We just go by impression and feeling. And I'm feeling good about you. Is there another doctor I can go to, you might say. Do you know what? That, that's how Christians do life, though, a lot of the time. They'll do it by the feeling. Instead of actually categorizing what is happening here. So I want to help us get this verse. So what I'm going to do is put a number. Now, it's my number. You can add any number you like. But to help us understand, let's say the first exceeding or superabundant is 100%. Okay, we'll work with that. Well, the next word is superabundant or uh, abundantly, so let's put that at 100 as well. So we'll say this is 200%. Okay? It says then, now unto him is able to do 200% more. Do you get that? So it's not nebulous, it's actually very categoric. He is able to do 200% more. Now, think of this this is a promise to everyone in this place right now. It's not for me. It's not for him. It's not for special people. It's actually for every person. Every person can read this verse and read it like this. God is able to do 200% more than we think. So that's a promise to us. So that's pretty easy to understand that he's able to do so much more. I think this is where we have to engage in the nature of what God is trying to do. He's He's wanting to bless us 200% above where we are now. It says there that actually He blesses us or d- does more in our, our life 200% more above where asking or thinking. This is so important because what comes out of our mouth and what goes on in our head actually determines the level of His blessing. It actually I want to show you something here now. I want to just So I'm going to take some volunteers. Now that'll be you and you and I think I'll get Joe. These are my volunteers. Quickly come, please volunteers. I know you really wanted to do. That. I want you to take a chair. Yes, please. Take a chair. <laughs> sit over there with your chair. Face the audience, please. Thank you, Joe. You sit there. I ha- I sort of have token I sort of have token people up here. I have the token female. I have the token ordinary person. And I have the token Muslim. We've got it all sorted, haven't we? So everything is token. We are So it's a nice little blend There's a nice little mix of it all, isn't it? Really? All right, now watch this. What I'm going to... I don't know where it comes from. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give each of you a word, just a single word, and you are going to describe that word with body language only okay so you're gonna you're gonna use your body to describe the word this this is easy for the ordinary person this is very easy you'll you'll get this are you ready for this here's your word now get ready to describe this in bodily language i want you to describe the word in bodily language faith what does faith look like does it look like that does it no you just just stay still, don't come towards me, I'm frightened. And turn to the crowd. Turn to the crowd and do what faith would be. What does faith look like in body language? Do you want me to help you here? Well, what I want you to do is I want you to fall forward because you catch me. Oh, you want to fall forward? No, don't do that, because nobody will catch you. That's not going to happen. So put your hands up like your faith or something that well sort of like with a bit of energy in your hands. That's right. Wouldn't that be faith? Put the. Wouldn't that be like faith? You're reaching out faith, isn't it, to okay, some degree? Okay, yes. Would you accept that? I would accept that. Okay, that's more like you're on a cross now. <laughs> but I feel like I'm on a cross right now. Why? This is a simple oh thing. See, you get a token woman and look what you end up with. It's a, it, become, it becomes a discussion, a debate, an argument. What is that about? It's so... You wait till the others start. This is so... So get up there and do what you are told woman and wear a hat on your head as well when you're in church. Don't hit me. So, faith, right? Now, here's your word. Here's your word, Joe. You ready for this? Doubt. Right, well, you have to do that all the time now. (laughs) Doubt. What's doubt look like to you? A, sad, a more sad expression. That'd be right. So just stand there like that. What's happened to faith? <laughs> Typical woman can't do what they're told for more than 10 seconds. Rushing just to, from my hands. Pardon me? The blood is from my hands. Well, then you'll fall forward and you'll get what you wanted. <laughs> Alright, are you ready? Here's your word, ordinary person. Apathy. What's apathy look like? I don't know why I bothered bringing the chairs up. What a waste of time that was. I'm supposed to be sitting down doing this. Apathy, yeah. Apathy. Now watch this. All of these badly demonstrate to us a key word. Faith, doubt, apathy. I want to show... Look at the body language there and I'll show you something. This one here is the most important. That's the one we really try to strive for. Faith. Well, not strive for, but believe. As a Christian, it's faith. It's hands raised. It's an expression of reaching out. And we often... Apathy, stop hitting doubt. And we often we often think that doubt is the problem or the opposite of faith, but it's not, it's apathy. Apathy is the opposite of this one. Have a look at the difference. Apathy says I don't care. Doubt says I'm still finding out. I'm on a journey. I'm not yet betwe- I'm moving somewhere, but I'm not there or there yet. But this is the worst case because I don't care. By the way, when you talk with people or couples. Uh, marriage and stuff like this. When, they say, when one of the partners says, I don't care, then you're in trouble, aren't you? Because you've got no putty, no, nothing to work with. This is important because we don't need apathy. We want faith. And I understand when people are in doubt. But certainly that is the position that we reach for. And remember, faith is always a position. You can, you can leave the platform now. Thank you for your kindness and goodness and understanding. and big, Give them a big, big clap and don't come back. Thank you, sir. And so faith, this apathy thing, this is what happens. So often we can slip into doubt is at least a journey, but apathy in our way of thinking. In our way of speaking, we can become apathetic. And that means, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Is it that important? I don't care. Just chill out. You know, I come to church, I'm engaged, and I do all this stuff, but actually, doesn't really matter. And boy, when you get to that level and you're asking and thinking, you're in trouble when it comes to God's blessing or what God can do. Not God's blessing, let me say, what He wants to do. You're in trouble because... What we so often do is we have a tendency to set our, uh, how can I say this, our uh, level of what God is doing in, in our lives by watching other people's what God is doing and tend to want that and get jealous of it and get sort of focused, why is that person blessed and I'm not, when actually it's our responsibility to lift that. And I'll explain why. If that's a promise to all of us, which it is, and I am asking and thinking in terms of apathy down here, but God's ability to do is 200% here, but somebody else over here who lifts their asking and thinking to here, God's ability to do is up there and it looks different. That guy's up there. I'm down there. Now, here's the problem. We have a tendency to say they did something I didn't do. They're better than me. They, uh, they, they, that why, why did God bless them and not me? Here's what we do. We often push, want God to push the top line. We want the doing line push. So we do religious exercise. We pray and we push it. We say, God, please do something for me. And so I'm going to pray. And we're trying to do religious stuff to get something out of God. We Actually, that, that becomes law almost to us. Because we give and we, and we worship and, oh, God's going to do something. When actually, in this verse, it states it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the bottom line. If you push your bottom line up, automatically the top line raises. If your bottom line is moving, there's some people who are so cynical and so critical and so argumentative in their bottom line that even when God does reach that promise, they go, well, what was that about? What God, oh, God blessed me anyway. It's amazing. I didn't even <laughs> expect that. He blessed me. And it's like they're surprise, because he's able to do. But to lift the top line, I need to lift my bottom line. I need to lift my asking and thinking. I need to change what's going on in my head and what's coming out of my mouth. This is really difficult. If you ever want to talk, read about this in the Bible concerning uh, the issue of what comes out of a mouth, read the book of James, but it's a horrible book to read. It's a horrible book, honestly, because it's so, um, it's so about how we engage in language and communicate to people and God, and it's a very challenging book. But the truth is, unless we, unless we change how we ask and think, God is able to do, and He will keep His commitment. But if you want to lift it to a higher level, then you've got to lift the bottom line. You've got to lift the bottom line. I have the chance, as Kevin was saying, to hang around a lot of guys in church life with large, very large churches. One of them's Brian Houston, and we, we grew up together. Bobby and I were saved in the same church, and I got to meet him pretty quickly. We went to each other's weddings. And you know when you meet him, when I knew him when he was younger, to be honest, he's the least likely to be doing what he's doing today. To be honest, he's probably the least likely guy. But for some reason, God has just done so much, haven't they? God's done so much for that guy. But here's what I noticed. Whenever you hang around him, he has an... Uh, if you listen to his stuff, there's always an asking and thinking that's way beyond where... I've often said to him, it just doesn't seem right. We grew up together. Look where you're doing, what you're doing. Look what I'm doing. But when I look at my asking and thinking compared to his asking and thinking, two different worlds. You know, I met him the other day. We we're in Germany doing something together. And I was talking about getting... A, that The Danes now have said you can get a Danish passport. Well, why don't you get a Danish passport? Well, I've got three already. I don't need another one. So I sort of like, well, and this is what I said. Well, I, and I was about to finish the sentence. I said, well, I can't. And he, he jumped in straight away and he said, I've never heard you say can't. What's wrong with you? Why are you saying can't? Well, I said, you never let me finish the sentence. I can't speak Danish. (laughs) That's what I was about to say. And he said, and he said, well, you could, if you wanted to, you just choose not to. And I'm like, well, get out of my face. <laughs> but that's what he's like. So I look at his life. It's right up there. I look at mine down there. And I think, what's the difference? Well, he's lifted his bottom line. You can't do what he's doing without lifting a bottom line. Yeah. It's, it is grace. It is God. It is the goodness of God. But it's partly linked to how he sees things and thinks things through and confesses. I believe that very strongly. You know, anyway, I said to him later on, I said, man, I... I tried doing Danish, and it's a very guttural language, it's very hard, it's very, you have to get the pronunciation right, and uh, I had a Danish teacher, I don't know if I've said this, I had a Danish teacher uh, paying £15 now to teach me Danish. One day this young man stood up, and he said, did you know that language is right, right brain? And I said, yeah, what's your point? He said, you've got to have one, and then he walked out and never came back again. <laughs> you've got to have a right brain, well thank you for that, I haven't got a right brain, so I can't do the language. Anyway, moving along. (laughs) Before we get caught into the trap of thinking that asking and thinking is some sort of 1980s faith message, the blab it and grab it idea, the concept of if you confess it long enough, God will give it to you. I want to tell you right now that's not what I'm talking about, and I'll tell you how I know this from the verse... Because the verse says he is able to do 200% more or above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's not just walking out of this place and grabbing and bl- blabbing and grabbing it yeah. or confessing it. Then it's just a motivational talk, yeah. Yeah. it has no value. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, this is about the Spirit working within us. And you know, I believe that these encounters we have, why we come to church on Sundays, morning and night, is so important because it's our time to actually experience the work of the Spirit. We should be experiencing it every day, but actually it's a collective time where you can really... I love the way the songs went tonight and stirring up a fire and all this. What's this about? This is about causing the power that's in us to rise because when the power rises... How can you be filled with the Spirit? And this is what I don't get about some Pentecostal churches I've worked with where they, they uh, uh, talk the- theological about Pentecostalism, but when you listen to how they speak, you would think they've just come from the pub down the road. You'd think they're all, in, they're all talking stuff that's nonsense. Because if you are truly filled with the Spirit, you, it'll come out. Yeah. You'll start to speak the words of God. They will be a part of who you are. Why? Because the power is working in us. We need as many opportunities as we can to engage in the power of God. Any prayer meeting, any praise time, any worship time, and you need to get in position to receive. Well, you've done altar calls, haven't you? Many times, I know. And all you guys. And is there anything worse than having an altar call and somebody standing there in the altar call, their arms folded, chewing chutty gum? Looking around. <laughs> so it's your turn. You got to pray for this guy. So what? What do you? Uh, what do you want me to pray for? Well, uh, just hoping God might uh, do something for me. And it's like I'll do something for you right now, but you won't like it. I don't understand how you can go on an old call asking God to do something and you're standing. Wouldn't you be sort of standing? I want God something to do something for me. You'd have the position of faith. You know, Nicodemus, the guy who climbed up the tree. He, he everyone was standing as they normally do on the side of the road. Jesus was coming into town, and they were very excited about what is not. That's yeah, I know. But Nicodemus was up another tree down the road further on. I'm, I'm just, I'm talking about that one. It's in the history books. What books are you reading? What was his name again? Can't <laughs> Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was up the flipping tree. It's Zacchaeus, that's right. Nicodemus was, a, was another guy. Who came to Jesus in the dark, actually. And he was a, he was a um, priest, and he came to Jesus. We're not talking about him. Thank you for the correction. Ordinary man, Um, married to the spirit of faith, who's not sure what it is. So, Zacchaeus, let's get it right here. Zacchaeus is—he goes along. He's sure he's got everything against him. He's a tax collector. He's wealthy and he's short. Can you get it any worse? Wealthy people were hated. Short people—he's trying to see, can't see. He's jumping above the crowd. He's a tax collector. So he climbs up a tree. Jesus comes along the road and he ignores the hundreds of people standing on the side who are just in some position and he sees a position of faith. And he says, you, I'm coming to your place tonight. And there's a guy further down called Nicodemus up another tree. I'm going to see him as well on the way. This is ex-stuff. Anyway, so he and everyone's going, how the heck does Zacchaeus... The tax collector, the short guy who's ripping us off get, well, it wasn't because of that. It was because of his position of faith. And, you know, let me tell you that when it comes to the work of the Spirit in our lives, it is a position of faith. See, when you go through life and things are a bit tough, you feel sometimes, oh, it's really dry. There's no Spirit working within. Well, actually, the Bible says there are rivers of living water. There are wells that we can draw from. And I hear people say to me, well, I'm in a bit of a desert time. You know, a bit of a dry time. Well, let me help you here. That is not the New Testament. There is no such thing in the New Testament as a desert time. And I'll tell you why. Because once you are filled with the Spirit, you have a well of living water. You have rivers of living water. You've just got to frack at it to get at. I'll tell you what I mean about that. What's amazing in your... Community and some of you know more about this than me, then the North Sea is running, they say we're running out of oil around here. But America started fracking. You know what fracking is? Breaking down, boring into the ground, and suck, they are self-sufficient in oil today because they fracked. That's amazing. But here's the problem. Christians are like North Sea people we're oh, we running out of oil I haven't got enough oil. It's a holy cow. we'll do some fracking <laughs> get down and tap into the rivers of living water yeah. Yeah. there is no such thing as a desert it's just that you stop fracking yeah. you didn't go down deep enough it's there you just got to draw it up yeah. and so there's no the only thing I can see in the New Testament for us when we go through times is a thing called pruning now pruning I can understand when you get pruned you can feel that but isn't pruning ama- amazing? Because pruning is actually a reward of fruitfulness. When, when a tree gets fruit, here's its reward. So the tree's working really hard. You know, out comes the fruit. Ping, 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 little apples everywhere. <laughs> And then the tree goes, well, that was pretty cool. Look at those apples. And then we come along with our cicatirs. Right, that was awesome. Now we're going to get some more out of it. Whack! And the tree, no, please, no, it really hurts. Yes, but this is so we can get more out of you. No, please don't do it. I've got a tree at home, apple tree, I've never rewarded once. It's a tangled mess of branches. It's never been pruned. And it really likes me because of that. It actually says to me at times, thank you for that. It really hurts when you prune, and I appreciate it. But you're not getting any bigger fruit And the fruit's all filled with worms and stuff. It's rubbish, apples, to be honest. But if I pruned it, which is seasonal for more fruit, then I know what's going on. You're never in a desert. You have the ability to frack the presence of God. You do. But you will be pruned. There will be times when you feel something is cut off where something is missing, but it's seasonal for a moment so that He can bring through greater fruit in our lives. He is able to do 200% above all we ask or think according to that power that works in us. We've got to get moments of the power of God working in us. In the worship time, we've got to get into the position of faith. We've got to get ready for what God wants. I understand this morning you had I think you called it your first fruits offerings, is that correct? And an outstanding moment you've got. That to me is a position of faith. I love it that I go to churches and belong to a church that does that. That talks to me about tithing, which is what happens when I just send it away in my um, internet. It just banking goes straight across. Then offerings, which is a generosity beyond the tithe. Giving the tithe is not generous. After you've given the tithe, you're generous. And then uh, you have these sacrificial opportunities. All of that builds position of faith. All of that gets you ready for what God wants to do. And those of you who have been in this church long long enough know that because you've seen the result in your life. So we have that power working with us. But look at the next verse, verse 21. And then we'll move on to Hezekiah. So get ready for that. (laughs) To him be glory in the church. What's all this for? What is all this stuff? What does it mean when we get the power of God working with us? Now asking and thinking is changing and we're starting to lift what we believe is possible. We see the blessing. Is it just so that we can have things at home or do well in our business or just be blessed in life? I don't think so. I think it's about His house. I think it's about what we can do to build the house of God. Jesus died for His church. That's you and I and many thousands of other people in this city and beyond. He died for the house. And when we receive all this stuff and we're so touched by God, it's a shame that we either keep it to ourselves or we actually end up using it somewhere else when actually it should be brought back in to God's house and it should be multiplied in God's house. And just to finish up, it says, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God's house is generational. And by that I do not mean That on this platform you're going to get generational experience, where there's something for old people, something for young people, something for teenagers, something for the headbangers, something for the you know that's horrible church. We've got we know what the start generations means. This that actually the decisions your pastors are making are about the next 50 years and not the Polaroid moment of church today. That we're watch we're playing a video of life in church here. We're setting this up for. The next generation and the next generation. That's what church is all about. I love that about church. Just to finish, I was working in Germany. Still do, of course, it's not a was. And I'm working there with one of the large the largest church in Germany, which is four and a half thousand people on Sunday. It's a big church and it's you wouldn't expect that in Germany, but Germany's really rocking at the moment. And I was sitting in the office of this guy in a very, very old building and I was sitting there looking out and I, he said, We're moving out of this building. Uh, We're going across to some more modern offices, and I said, "But outside your window, you have a you have a beautiful garden out there." And he said, "Did you know that garden was created by the leaders uh, of this church for the pastor who started this church?" And I said, "But excuse me, you started this church." And he said, "No, I never. I never started this church. This church was started in 1944, in the middle of the Second World War, by a single woman." I said, "Seriously?" He said. Here's a book. I read the book. Fascinating. This woman, how she was led by God through the world war, those awful days to plant a church in Stuttgart, which is there today. And she just worked with God. In the 50s, she built this massive building they've got, filled up the chapel. As she got older, the church dwindled, and somebody else came in and took it on, and then another pastor came, and then later in... Life, this guy who's been there now about 25 years, he took the church on and it grew to become what it was. But without the sacrifice and the giving and the wisdom of that lady, that church probably wouldn't be there today. I don't know what the future holds for you. We could have the seeds of the largest church Scotland's ever seen right here. We may not see that promise, we may see that promise. We're not building this for the moment. We're not doing this for the joy of the day, for the Polaroid pick of what we get out of it. This is a video God's playing out. And as you sow into this house financially, as you sow with your time and energy, it is for generations to come. So all of what God does, that 200%, and all of what He brings to us in the Spirit is for the house and the generations to come. You can't sow into a better place than God's house you can't do better than this place I'm telling you now because who knows what the future is for this place I'd love to talk about that more but I haven't and I just thanks for listening if you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times then don't forget to visit our website www.thejunctionchurch.com God bless